You are listening to the Tom Eliff Podcast. Tom Eliff pastored for 42 years and was also the president of the International Mission Board and the Southern Baptist Convention. He is the founder of Living Word Publications. Now, here is Tom Eliff. The 50th chapter, chapter of Genesis, Genesis chapter 50. Now, we are coming tonight to the final session in this subject for the rest of my life. And if you're visiting with us here this night, this evening, let me just say that uh, for the past several weeks, we've been dealing with the qualities that every man and every woman, as a matter of fact, every one of us ought to have in our lives, that many of us can look back across our past and we say, you know, I'm just sorry, I just haven't been that way all of my life. That's not the way I've lived. That's not the way I've acted. That's not the way that as a believer in Christ I've performed. And some of us would look back and say, I'm so sorry about the way that I lived and some decisions I've made and the consequences of them have been terrible, does that mean I can never have a life that is a life of impact and of influence and a life that, that is so changed by the power of God that God can use me to change the hearts and lives of others? Well, the answer is, of course, for the rest of your life, you can do, you can be all that God wants you to do and all that God wants you to be. From this evening's service till Jesus comes, whenever that is, or when you meet him at your death time, whenever that is, you have the opportunity with the rest of your life to do and to be all that Jesus would desire. Now, I want to remind you there's not time for your agenda and God's agenda. The only way it's going to work is when you get to the point where what you want for your life is what God wants for your life, where his agenda becomes your desire. And then for the rest of your life, you can be, you can do all God wants of you. Now, we've looked at nine of these qualities. We said for the rest of our lives, I want to be a devoted man or woman. I desire to be a person who is directed by God. In other words, how do I find the will of God? How do I know it's God's will? I will be a decisive person. As I mentioned earlier, one of the things that just drives wives crazy is to have a husband who is indecisive. He's constantly just waiting for someone else or some other event to, to make the decision for him. I will be a decisive man. For the rest of my life, I will be a disciplined person. Discipline, of course, is what takes all the energies and abilities of your life and focuses them so that they will have impact. If you don't have discipline, you cannot have impact. For the rest of my life, I will be a diligent man. We looked at the fact that diligence is taking the disciplined life and applying it over the long haul. It's not just working hard for a moment or so. It's saying for the balance of my life, I'm going to be diligent before God. For the rest of my life, I will be daring, not impulsive or rash, but I will be daring. I'll step out on those things that God puts before me, although they may challenge everything I know, everything I've ever felt. I'll be a daring person. For the rest of my life, I will be a determined individual. I'll be a discerning man, an individual who knows how to see God at work and to spot what is of God and what is not of God. I'll be an individual who is delivered. And last week we looked at the importance of walking daily in the deliverance that God makes possible for us. For if you're a believer in Christ, you have been delivered from the penalty of sin. Christ did that by his death. From the power of sin, Christ delivered you from that by his resurrection. And from the practice of sin, that kind of deliverance comes from the daily acknowledgement of the Lordship of Jesus in your life. And so for the rest of my life, I will walk in the deliverance which God makes available for me. And so now we've come to the final of these characteristics. For the rest of my life, I will be a dependable individual. Now, we're taking the entire day to look at this passage of Scripture. Actually, the passage is Genesis 37 through 50 because we are looking primarily at the life of Joseph. I want to remind you, before we look in chapter 50 in just a few moments, I want to remind you that finding dependable men is difficult. 
not only in this world, but in the Bible. You have to look long and hard before you can find a Bible example of someone who is actually dependable. Now, dependability is something more than just being reliable. That is in our Bible sense of the word. It means something more than that. Dependability means something more than just doing what you have been told to do. In our sense, as we are taking this word, dependability, we mean that you're not only on the job doing as you ought to do, but you are looking beyond that. You're seeking to apply the grace of God to another individual's life or to an event. You're seeking to bring the grace of God on the scene by your presence there. A lot of people, you can say, well, here's what I need you to do. They go and they do it and they come back and say, I did it. And later on, you talk to someone, they say, yeah, they showed up. They did what they were supposed to do and they left. Well, well what, what about after they left? Well, I don't know. They just did their job and left. Well, now, they did what they were supposed to do. But we're, we're talking about being dependent upon by God someone upon whom God can depend to bring his grace to bear in every situation. The Apostle Paul would often tackle a situation in such a fashion that not only would the situation be dealt with, but there would be the, just the aroma of the, of the presence of God when he had left. And so there was more than just the task. There was this whole issue of bringing the grace of God to bear in that room full of people, upon that event, uh, in that particularly thorny issue or where you work. For the rest of my life, I will be a dependable man, a man who looks beyond the immediate task, I'm going to be obedient there, but looks beyond that into the hearts of people and says, how can I minister to my son, my daughter, my wife? How can I minister, if you're a lady, to my husband, to my children? Remember what the lady said? She said, yes, my husband will go and minister to my son, but he has to be asked. And so this is moving to that point where you're so sensitive to God that you see not only what you have to do, but what is needed, and you bring your life to bear upon that. What needs to happen by the grace of God? Now, Joseph was that kind of man. Remember? Riches to rags to riches to rags to riches, okay? And Joseph was an individual who, who should have been a card-carrying member of Land's Inn or someplace where they make coats because he was always having problems with his coats. Uh, his first one made his brothers upset. You remember they took it from him and put him in a pit. You remember he was sold then uh, to some merchant men who were traveling down toward Egypt. He found his way then into the house of Potiphar, who purchased him as a slave. I want to remind you in each of these instances, those who worked with Joseph said, for God was with him. The Lord was with him. He was with him, and when as a young man, God showed him that he had a purpose for his life that was far greater than either Joseph or his father or his brothers could ever imagine. He showed him that in a dream. There was no Bible in those days. God communicated with Joseph in a, in a way that Joseph understood. And you remember when he went to Potiphar's house, Potiphar said, look, I trust you with everything. Just make sure that the food's on the table when I get ready to eat. And Joseph said, I'm in charge of everything in this house. There's none greater than I. You remember it was Potiphar's wife who tried to seduce him? And I want to remind you that it was Joseph who said with that strong, dependable will that he'd gotten from God, he said, look, how can I sin against God and do a thing like this? And he fled from her. You remember she kept his coat? And she falsely accused him. Joseph found himself then in prison. And before chapter 39 closes, and this is so remarkable, it says here about Joseph that even in prison, the keeper of the prison said, look, I don't know what's going on. You'll have to talk to Joseph. Joseph was actually running the prison. The prisoner was in charge of the prison. The captive had become the captain. Something about this man. There was this dependability. It didn't make any difference who you were. It just seemed that there was, there was something about Joseph that encouraged you to trust him with anything and in any situation. You remember it was while he was down in prison that uh, 
He interpreted dreams for a couple of men who ended up, one of them ended up dead, the other ended up back in Pharaoh's court a couple of years later. And during a time when Pharaoh was perplexed about a dream he had had, you remember the seven thin cows eating the seven fat ones and the seven thin ears of corn eating the seven healthy ears of corn. His men couldn't interpret that, and that's when this man remembered Joseph, who was an interpreter of dreams, and they brought Joseph in. And can you imagine, in a matter of hours, perhaps maybe less than three or four hours, Joseph had been catapulted from being a prisoner to being prime minister of Egypt. As Joseph said later to one of his family members, I'm like Pharaoh's granddad. He doesn't do anything without checking with me. There was none greater in the land than Joseph. Now, in the midst of all that, I want to remind you that Joseph's family, Jacob and his sons, were still living back in Canaan, in Israel. And I want to remind you that during that time of famine, on more than one occasion, they came to Egypt because they heard that there was plenty there. There was plenty there because Joseph had had a plan for garnering the wheat so that when they walked through those seven years of famine, people would have to eat. And so you remember the brothers came, and, and Joseph tested them, and they came again. He tested them, and then they came again. The final time, he revealed himself to them. And you remember that Joseph then asked for Jacob and all the family to move to Egypt. He provided for them in one of the most luxuriant uh, places in all of Egypt, the land of Goshen, and there they lived. But one day, Jacob, their father, died. And that's where we discover some more of these qualities that a man who is dependable must possess. Now, before we stand and read the Scripture, I want to remind you of this. We are not thinking together about how a dependable man or woman looks to other people. We're not looking for the outward expressions of dependability. What we are seeking as we read the Scripture is this man's heart, the deep dynamic that produces dependability. We've already seen that if you're going to be a dependable man, you must be um, content with God's purpose in your life. That keeps you from being fretful about other people, as it says in Psalm 37, verses 1 through 6. Fret not yourself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. They'll soon be cut down like grass. They'll wither as the green herb. Fret not yourself in any wise to do evil. He goes on to say, he said, it's like the sun. Noon is noon. You can't hurry it up. They can't slow it down. God will bring forth your righteousness. He'll show that you are right just as clear as the noonday sun. And so a man is confident and content with God's purpose in his life. He doesn't have to fret. He can be faithful. We know that a man who is a dependable man is not only conscious of God's purpose in his life, it is a man who is conscious of God's presence in his life. The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. They knew that the Lord was with him. It was vital to him. It was visible in his life. And then finally, this morning, we noted that a man who is a dependable man is a man who is careful with God's provisions in his life. And if you will not be careful with what God gives you, life, health, material resources, if you will not be a good steward, a good overseer, that's a heart issue. You see, tithing, I, I mentioned tithing. Tithing has nothing to do with your pocketbook. It has everything to do with your heart. It is a heart issue. If you do not practice it, the problem is your heart. Giving is a heart issue. If you do not practice it, it is a matter of your heart. It has nothing to do with the contemporary economy. Absolutely nothing. It has nothing to do with how you, the financial exigencies of your life right now. Absolutely nothing. It has everything to do with your heart. With your heart. And so we're looking down into the heart of a dependable man. I want to show you three other qualities in the heart of a dependable man. Let's stand together and read the Word of God. Genesis 50. I'm going to begin reading with our verse 18. Joseph's brothers are frightened because now dad's dead and they're afraid he's going to kill them. 
Verse 18, his brethren also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we're your servants. In other words, they said, Look, just don't kill us. We'll be your slaves. And Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for am I in the place of God? I'm not God, Joseph said. But as for you, you thought evil against me. But God meant it unto good. In other words, he said, When you put me in the pit, you had evil thoughts about me. But it was just God. It was God who meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. You wouldn't be here alive. You, you meant evil for me. God meant it for good. Now, therefore, fear ye not. I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly unto them. Joseph is a picture of a dependable man. Father, I pray trusting that you, by your Holy Spirit, will open our eyes to this truth tonight and God bring us to this altar to say, I will be a man of dependability. I'll be an individual upon whom others and upon whom God can depend. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Be seated, please. Quality number four. If you're to be a dependable individual, you must be an individual who is committed to the principles of God with your life. Now, let me say it again. If you desire to be an individual upon whom others can depend, but more importantly, upon whom God can depend, God can say, I can use you. I can entrust to you these resources or this opportunity or this great adventure. I can trust you with it. If you're to be that kind of an individual, you must be a person who is committed to the principles of God, not just with your lips, but with your life. Now, I want to remind you that the principles of God are different than the opinions of man. We use the word principle to refer to that which is an underlying, foundational, immutable truth. We might want to call it true truth. Textbooks come and go. Every one of them claims to have the truth, but the next textbook that comes along reveals that some experiment or some discovery has proven the previous year's truths, which were reported such, as being untrue. But the Bible contains true truth. Sometimes the word, we use the word immutable, the word mutation, changing. We use the word immutable because that means that the principles of God will never change. When Psalm uh, 118, uh, 119 verse 89 says, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. The word for settled means we talk about a settlement or that settles it or okay, it's settled. God's word is established in heaven, in the heavenly realm. When you get to heaven, God is not going to say, I just used the Bible to trick you into believing me. No, the principles that are good for you today in his word will be operable in heaven as well as every other place in the universe. So these are the principles of God. Now, if you're going to be a dependable person, you've got to commit your life. You see, if I'm going to depend on you and you on me, and if God's going to depend on us, we have all got to be reading off the same page. But if I am confident that you are committed to living by the principles of God, and if you are confident that I am committed to living by the principles of God, we can work through our personality differences. That's not a problem. We, we can work through the hard times we have together, the problems that we go. You know, we may look at things with a different light. We can work through that as long as I know that you and I are reading off of God's page here. Do you follow what I'm saying? We can then depend upon one another. And so you, that, that's why in your business, you, 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 even on our church staff, we say, well, old so-and-so, he's got this personality. All right, with her, she's got this kind of personality. And we laugh. In some fact, sometimes in our staff meetings, our Bible studies on Wednesdays, when our staff meets together to say the word, we laugh about the particular quirks and turns that each of us has. But I'll tell you what brings us together. We have together 
this common bond, not only that we know Christ and that the Holy Spirit lives within us, but that we are committed to reading off of the same page. So I can depend upon this person to say, and I can depend upon this person to say, we're going to say the same thing. Well, we might not get it out the same way and use the same nuances, but we have that commitment. Therefore, we can work through problems. By the way, you see, that's what will make it possible for you to solve problems in your home. One of the most critical issues for any family is to know how to make decisions because most people make decisions, you know, someone's a winner, someone's a loser, someone's a better with logic than the other person is. But if you will commit yourself to the principles of God, everybody is a winner because the issue is just finding out what God says. Now, let me just say a word about committing yourself to the principles of God. First of all, God's principles are absolute. Now, that means that they're not going to change, but more than that, it means that they are the underpinning, they're, they're the undergirding, they are the foundation for this whole world for this universe, for our relationship. They are absolute. They're never going to change. I like what uh, Addison Leach used to say. He said, the, he said, the laws of God are like the ingredients on the package of life. You say, who in the world was that? That was, that was, um, um, who is that famous missionary lady? What's her name? What? Just one at a time, please. I know this lady. What's that? Yeah, Elliot. Okay. You know, her first husband was speared by the Alka Indians. Addison Leach was her second husband. He passed away. I told her third husband. I said, look over your shoulder. I said, this, you're number three. But, but Addison Leach, her second husband, who's a wonderful man of God, all these men have been wonderful men of God. He said, the, the laws of God are like the ingredients on the package of life. Now, you're free to mix them up your way and not God's way, but if you mix them up your way, what you get is not going to be what God pictures on the package. Or he said it another way. He said they're, they're like the grain of the universe. Now, you can slide down the wrong way, but if you do, you're going to get splinters. These laws of God are absolute, okay? Now, the wonderful thing about these laws of God, and this is what I love about the way God deals with us, not only are they absolute, they always work, they are available. See, it's not like any of us have to say, well, you know, I never, I can't, I don't have a Bible. Where do I find the rules for life? No, these are available to every one of us here in the Word of God. That's why Cal's in the ministry he's in, to make them available. These are available to us. You can find the mind of God about any issue in life by opening this book. That's right. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction to righteousness, that the man of God might be perfect or adequate, thoroughly furnished to all good works. It's all here. So here are the absolutes of God. This is what God wants you to know about how you and I ought to behave. It is all here. This is the library. This is the system. This is the plan. It is all here. It's absolute. It's available. By the way, it's also appropriate. You say, what do you mean by appropriate? Well, God's way will always work. Now, you know why it will always work? Now, listen carefully. God's way will always work. Listen. Because God designed you and the rest of the universe to work this way. You know what I'm saying? understand what I'm saying? It's going to work with you because God designed you to work with it. There, there's not another set of principles or plans or ways of doing anything that fit you or me better than this. There's not another rule book. There's not another game plan that fit us better than this one. You see what I'm saying? You were designed for this. This was designed for you. I used to get kidded by some friends who said, I tried to lead them on a tour of Jerusalem with a map from Los Angeles. I didn't. It seemed that way, but I didn't. It was late at night. I didn't know what I had. Anyway, it's a long story. But isn't Hollywood in Jerusalem someplace? Anyway, well, anyway, 
that's what most people are trying to do. They're trying to take a life God created and get directions from a map the devil wrote. See, you were made to run according to these instructions. The universe was made to run according to these instructions. And if you want to be a man or a woman who is dependable, a person who shows up on the scene and doesn't just do your thing and leave, and everybody said, well, they did what they were supposed to, but if you want to show up and bring the grace of God to a situation, you are going to have to be committed to the principles of God with your life. You're going to have to come to a place where an old friend of ours, Manly Beasley, used to say, live or die, sink or swim, this is it. This is it. And that's exactly where... Uh, that's where Joseph was. Do you notice what Joseph said to Potiphar's wife when she was trying to get him in bed with her? Here's what he said. I don't engage in unprotected sex. This is bad hygiene. I could get AIDS or some sexually transmitted disease. I'm not sure where Potiphar is. He might come in and find us, and I would lose my job. Let's don't do this tonight. No, he didn't have to go through all that. He had a rule book. Here's what he said. He didn't have it in the form like we have. He had the Word of God on that. Here's what he said. Are you kidding? I fear God. That's all. Should I sin before God? That's, that's just a sin. You know, it didn't have to occur to me whether it's hygienically correct or whether I'm motivated or whether this is the right moment or whether it's going to help me with my job or tear up my job. It doesn't have anything to do with my reputation. It has everything to do with the maker of the universe who made me said, don't do it. I can't do it. It's that simple. I don't know how many of you are members of the NEA. I think, God, some of our teachers who are here are not members of the NEA, but some are, are and they are missionaries to the NEA. So I'm not saying if you are or you're not. But I want to tell you, the NEA has officially come out and said that October is to be the National Gay and Lesbian History Month that they're going to celebrate as the National Education Association. Now, you need to go and ask your teacher if they're members and ask them if they're going to say anything about teaching that the gay-lesbian lifestyle is appropriate. You don't have to know anything about AIDS. You don't have to know anything about sexually transmitted diseases. You don't have to have cute jokes about Adam and Steve rather than Adam and Eve. You don't have to have any of that. All you have to need to know is this. God says it is not right. You are not meant for it. It was not meant for you. It doesn't work. It doesn't mean you have to hate a person who's caught in that kind of lifestyle. Jesus can bring deliverance from that, but it means that you don't have to worry yourself with all the ins and outs, the ups and downs. All you have to do is say, look, I read the manual. The manual says that's not the way we work best. And so you have to have a life commitment to the principles of God. All right, here's the second thing. You have to be comfortable with God's place in your life. You have to really get comfortable with God's place in your life. I want you to turn to verse, uh, chapter 50, verse 19. Chapter 50, verse 19. They came to Joseph and his brothers and said, you know, we know you're going to kill us. You only kept us alive to keep Jacob, our father, from mourning over us. We know that you've had it from the very beginning in your heart to kill us. We'll just be your servants. How does that sound to you? Jacob said, am I in the place of God? I'm not God. He said, well, that's obvious. Not to too many people. I love that little sign that hangs. I don't know whose Sunday school class it is. Tell me after church tonight that you're a Sunday school class, and I'll buy you an ice cream cone. I love it. Better tell me the truth, too. <laughs> Some of y'all really got to me the other day on this deal. It says there are just two basic laws in life. Law number one, there's only one God. Law number two, you are not him. But you'd be surprised at the number of people who have not really figured that one out yet. Now, let me tell you what this will do to you in terms of dependability. When you get comfortable with God's place, he is the sovereign 
ruler, creator, sustainer of the universe. Nothing ever sneaks up on him, slips up on him, surprises him. God is God. I said, you know, has it ever occurred to you? Nothing ever occurred to God. God just didn't say, that's right. I never thought of that before. No, God is God. He knows it all. He is sovereign, creator, sustainer of the universe. You're not him. You say, how does that affect me being a dependable person? Okay, let me just share with you two ways real quickly. First of all, if you'll ever come to grips with that, that'll take a tremendous amount of pressure off your life. It really will. It'll take a tremendous amount of pressure off your life. I don't know if you're like me, but so many times I try to be God. Brother Tom, can you solve this problem? Yes, sir, Ree, I tell you, I'm your pastor. I'm going to get that problem solved. Let me see, who do I know? I can call, yes, sir, I'm going to get, I'm going to say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. God is God, not me. The only reason that, that, that I still counsel, I'm not a good counselor, you know, that you folks do kind of, we have some wonderful counselors in our staff. I'm too blunt. You know, people come in and say, well, I just sort of feel guilty. Well, you look guilty to me. Be nice. Bye, next. You know, I, I, I just... I don't mean to be that way. It's it just, you know, you have, and I know I do, all, I don't know why I do so much counseling, but, but, but the only way that God sustains me in the whole ministry of counseling and anybody else that stays in counseling over the long haul is to wake up to the fact, you ain't God, buddy. You see, I can't solve your problem. No, there's no counselor who's going to solve your problem. I don't have the answer for your problem. All I can do is say, let's look in the Word and see what the Bible says. Now, if you're willing to cooperate aggressively with God in terms of what He says, your problem's over. But I can't solve it. Now, I'll be happy to go with you on your journey as we look for the answers of God, but once God says it, the argument's over. If He says, this is how to respond, this is what to do, this is where to go, this is how to live, this is how to handle this, if we find in the Word of God that that's it, why do you want to hang around my office anymore? There's no reason because that's what God says to do. And so it takes a tremendous amount of pressure. It just removes that pressure from you. But I tell you what, it does require consistent performance because God is God does say that there are certain things that, that I need to do. He tells me in his word what those things are. I, he tells me in his word that, that I'm capable of doing them. You're capable of doing them. Listen to this verse. I love it. It says, you know, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Some people have drawn a line under that, circled it, and said, aha, there you for you see, you work out your salvation, you figure it out, and you work, and therefore God saves you. No, here's what it says. Let the outworking of your salvation done, be done with a holy reverence. Why? Because it is God who is working in you. Both to will, that means he gives you desire, and to do, that means he gives you the ability, both to will and to do of his good. He gives you the ability, both to will and to do, of his good pleasure. Isn't that great? In other words, God is not asking something impossible, impossible without him. But with him, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. With God, all things are possible because he is within me, giving me both the desire and the ability to accomplish his will, whether it's a parental issue, a husband-wife issue, a business issue, finances, physical issues. He's at work. He's just asking for me to cooperate. That's all. Just to cooperate. He's not asking me to figure something out. He's not asking me to impress him with how capable I am. 
He's not asking you, Dad, he's not asking you to, to pull some kind of great project out of the air that's going to blow your family's mind and make them love you and respect you. Mom, he's not asking for you to do something so unbelievably creative that God never even thought of it that captures the heart of your husband. He's not asking, no, he's just asking us to cooperate. Now, if I don't understand that, why won't I be dependable? All right, because every time I face a problem, And every time I think I've got to come up with a solution, I might have to rethink those rules and start playing by somebody else's rules instead. I might have to think that maybe I'm God in this situation. I've got to solve this problem. I've got to straighten those people out. I've got to figure, you know, I've got to do that rather than letting God be God. And so I won't be dependable. Why? Because you're reading the Bible still and I'm reading out of my heart and the Oh, I'll tell you what, the, the man's heart is deceitfully wicked. The Bible says, who can know it? You can't even know how wicked your heart is. And say, well, if I know my heart, now forget it. You don't know your heart. All the wickedness that's down there. And the moment you start trying to be God, that's what's going to leap to the forefront. That's what's going to call the shots. That's what's going to design your agenda. And I'll guarantee you, no place, you know something? In God's agenda, he probably has a place out there where you look bad. That's right. He probably has a place out there where you get humiliated in God's agenda. He probably has a place out there where you fail in God's agenda. On your order of worship for your life, God has a place out there where you get desperate. Right. I'll tell you what, if you're figuring out the agenda of your life, you'll never let yourself look bad, get desperate, fail. No, sir. You're always going to figure out a way to make you look good all the time. Because you're God and you've got to be in control. And you can't risk being out of control. You can't risk not having everything done the way you want it done. You've got to get comfortable with God's place in your life. Just let God be God. The loving, wonderful, gracious Father that he is. One final thing. If you want to be a dependable man, ladies, if you want to be dependable, somehow, someway, by an act of God's grace, and that's the only way it can happen, you must come to a point in your life where you comprehend God's perspective on your life. You start seeing things from God's point of view. You, you, you get up, it's, it's almost like getting up in a, in a tower and looking at you. You begin to see the big picture. You, you begin to see that with your life, God is doing something more that's going to shoot a bottle rocket and everybody says, Ooh, oh and it's gone. But God is building a kingdom, and you are an important part of the eternal work that he's doing. And you just need to see it from God's point of view for a change. Notice what he says here in this 20th verse. He says, let me just tell you, way back there when I was a 17-year-old boy. How many of y'all are 17 here? Raise your hand. Right, way up high. I want to see it. Good night. Right, way up high. I want to see all the 17-year-olds. We got what, 10, 12, 15, 17. Okay, you're 17. This is what happened to Joseph when he was 17, all right? Way back when Joseph was 17, God showed Joseph a big picture. He didn't quite understand it all. Sheaves bowing down to one sheaf, moon, sun, moon, stars bowing down. He didn't see it. He didn't understand all of it, but he showed him a big picture. He showed him enough to say, Joseph, I've got big plans for you. And so Joseph had such a grasp on the big picture, such a comprehension of God's perspective, so that when he was in the pit, 
He didn't spend his time redecorating the pit and making the pit comfortable. He thought to himself, well, this is the pit, but I know one of these days I'm going to be out of here because God showed me he's got more for me than this. So when he was in Potiphar's house and Potiphar's wife was nagging at him and he ran and he turned around and his coat was gone and he was getting a stern lecture by Potiphar and being carried off in manacles to a prison, he didn't say, well, I'm going to learn how to make prison a wonderful place because it's going to be where I'm going to be the rest of my life. He said, I better be a good prisoner because that's my only hope of getting out of here. And God's got big plans for me. You know, you know people who argue and fuss and fight and take things in their own hand connive you know who you know who they are they're people who don't see the big picture yeah they're so preoccupied with the moment they got to get they got to solve this today they never see the big picture you need to ask if you want to be a dependable person you need to be a person who sees that life is more than now this moment god is working with you over the long haul you know what it will do First of all, it'll bring confidence in your life. You'll be confident. You'll say, you know, God's got a purpose in my life. You know, you know what's interesting? There are people here, probably you have already retired. But if you could catch on to what God's trying to show you, your greatest days of ministry could be ahead of you. Your greatest days. Your most wonderful days your most productive days if you could just get the big picture and cooperate with God. It'll just give you confidence. There's an interesting thing that happens on trips, long trips. Let me just tell you this real quickly. It just, you take a group of people, it happens to your family. When are you going on vacation, okay? Happens with people that go to Israel. Happens with people that go to Europe. Happens every place, Okay. You can work around it. You learn it's going to happen. You can sort of fix it, but it's always going to happen. Here's what happens. You go on this trip, and you get to the, about the halfway point. You're just sort of worn out. And, you know, everything. You know, you tried your best to see everything, do everything, and you're just trying your hardest, and all of a sudden you wake up one morning, and you're over halfway through, and you say, oh, no, man, we're almost, we're, we're over halfway through, and there's still more I want to see, and I hadn't bought all I want to buy, and I haven't, I haven't there's stuff I want to do, and oh, you're in a frantic frenzy, and, and we're not, the bus is not going fast enough, Dad, we got to go see more places real quick, and all of a sudden you're just so frantic, you just, you know, you just, you're not even enjoying the trip. You're having, whatever your age, you're having a midlife crisis. A mid-trip crisis. Oh, no. If you would just stop and ask God to give you the big picture and then put your hand in his and say, God, let's go for the rest of it. He would give you such confidence. It's not over. There's more. What does that poem say? The last is that for which the first was made. I mean, all that's taken place in your life has taken place just to get you ready for the big one. That's right. The big challenge, the big adventure, the great ministry. So it'll bring confidence to your life. It allows you to focus on where you're headed, you see. Secondly, it'll bring composure to your life. You can be dependent not to fly off the handle, let me put it that way. Because you realize that no matter where you are, this is just today and this is just now. Now, you don't want to be oblivious to it, but because there's more, you know what you can do? You can stop and smell the roses. You can stop and minister to people. It brings a certain level of composure to your life. You're not going through life frantic and saying, wait a minute, the big event hasn't happened. The big, you know, the, the, the great ministry hasn't happened. The wonderful thing for our family, has, I've got a race on to get. Hey, slow down. God's got it, but he's got it for you one day at a time.
Would you do this with me? This is going to be the first time some of you all have done this in weeks. Would you join me? Let's just take a deep breath. Come on, let's do it all the way down. Some of you haven't done that in weeks. You just walk around and dog. Hey, what you need is composure. Slow down. God's in charge. He's in charge. You know what else it'll do? It will set you up to be a caring person. What's the last verse we read together? Joseph said, hey, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going I'm to make sure you're fed. I'm going to make sure no harm you know who the non-caring person is? It's a person who's not sure what the agenda is, not sure where we're going, not sure God's in charge, thinking, I've got to do it my way. This is my time. Life is running out. I've got to hurry up. No, you don't have time to care for anybody. You're too busy taking care of yourself. All of a sudden, you start looking. You've got time for somebody. You've got time to drink a cup of coffee and sit down and talk with somebody and hear what's going on in their heart and and to let God let you look through their eyes and into their heart and say, now, friend, how can I bring the grace of God to bear in your situation? You'll be a caring person. Friends, the only way the people of God are going to make it is if we become dependable. Okay? Out here is Brigadier General Dick Freeman, a jet jockey. Over here is Tom Hill. F-Force, Phantom F-Force. Wingtip to wingtip, inches away from each other. Why does it work? Oh, it only works if I can depend on you and you can depend on him. And we all can depend on this being the Word of God. And God's Word, in its absolute, inerrant, infallible truth, having in it all any of us need to do to do all things right. Does that mean that his personality is like mine and like his? No, not at all. They probably thank God for that. I do. Our personalities are not alike at all. But it does mean that when the heavy hitting's going on, we can depend on one another. And we want God, dear family, dear church family, we want God to be able to depend on us, to depend on Him. Father in heaven, how I pray, trusting your Holy Spirit, make us the kind of men and women we ought to be. Lord, build into our hearts and lives the quality of dependability not just showing up, doing our thing and going, but showing up and saying what needs by the grace of God to be done. How do I fit into it? Oh, Lord, bless this, your word, to our hearts. I pray in Jesus' name. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. We're going to stand. I'm going to ask our counselors to come even now. Some of you may just want to get up and come down here to the altar and start praying. Maybe God's spoken to your heart. I believe there are people who want to join our church tonight. That's wonderful. Just come tell one of these counselors when we stand in a few moments. Uh, look, I want to join. We want to join the church. You'll not be coming alone. Counselors will be coming. I'm going to ask in a few moments when we stand, all of you folks who joined our church in an earlier service, 
Those who are baptized this evening, those of you joined by letter in another service, you're in the counseling room this morning. Will you come be seated over here where it says seating for new members so you can meet your new church family? I believe there are people here who need to receive Christ as Savior and as Lord of your life. You say, you know, I've never just trusted him, totally. I've never just trusted him. Well, dear friend, I'm going to ask you tonight, won't you do that? Jesus died on the cross, rose from the grave. He's coming again for you. The only hope you have is receiving him by faith as your Savior. He's the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me, said Jesus. I'm going to ask you this evening just to say in your heart, look, tonight I want to receive Jesus Christ as my Savior. We're going to be singing that, that wonderful, wonderful hymn of invitation. Wherever he leads, I'll go. I'll take up my cross and follow him. Wherever he leads, I'll go. And this is your personal invitation to come to Jesus and say, yes, I want to trust you as my Savior and Lord. God's speaking to you about becoming a part of this church. Why don't you join this church? If you're not active, you may not even live in this town. You know you're moving here. God's brought you here. Just come on. Join the church. Say, look, I want to be active in the church. I want to have a church home. God's calling you. You want to say yes to him. I would urge you to make that decision this evening. Heads are bowed. Eyes are closed. Let's stand together. Father in heaven, my prayer is that to this altar tonight, you would bring those who would say yes to you. And I pray it in Jesus' wonderful and matchless and saving name.